The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF different, visit FVF.law. friends and thanks for listening to moon tower soccer on today's show since there wasn't a game this weekend we're going to do a state of the team show and assess the austin fc roster at this point in the season we'll also discuss a few points from chris bills's recent interview with claudia reyna and then we're going to answer some listener questions my name is landon cottom and i'm joined as always by mr jeremiah bentley Hey, everybody, I'm Jeremiah Bentley, and I also realize why we don't let uh, our guests write their own bios, uh, but I'm going to read one right here now. So we're happy to be joined by the unofficial advisor, Josh Wolf, senior soccer analyst at Twitter.com, president of the Ethan Hor- Horvath Stand Club, knower of all things, and master of none, Chris Wellhausen. How you doing, Chris? Hello. Thank you for reading my uh, official title for the first time, um, <laughs> despite many requests previously. It's good to be back. <laughs> uh chris you are always a a joy to to it's it's always a joy to follow your twitter account during games that you're excited about and so last night during the the u.s national team uh victory against mexico it was definitely a a sight to behold and so um like as jeremiah mentioned you are the new president of the ethan horvath stand club so um 100 yeah what, what was last last night like for you Man, it, what a ride. You know, it's so funny. I was like working late on something at a coffee shop and they closed because it went into extra time. So I was sitting in my car in a parking lot streaming the game <laughs> and the degree to which I screamed when he saved that penalty, like scared someone outside my car. So it was like pitch black, just the light from my phone. And you just hear this, like the cars start shaking and the scream come out. They probably thought someone was getting murdered in it, but it was just me trying to accept the glory that is Ethan Horvath. <laughs> I think Ashley had already gone to bed. And so I was trying to be very quiet, but there was lots of silent fist pumping going on. <laughs> what a game though, man. I mean, a Stuver-like performance, truly. It was incredible. Absolutely. Yeah, I think even even our, our listeners who are Mexico fans can can appreciate the just like how insane and fun that game was regardless of of how you feel about how the uh the game ended up it was definitely a lot of fun to watch definitely all right well um the reason we we have chris on today is we tend to have have you on when we're doing kind of like we like we called it in the intro the state of the team you came on and did our uh our expansion or sorry our yeah our expansion draft show we've had you on for our like season preview show and so we thought it would be a a good moment this week when we don't have a game to kind of uh check in with where we are at with the team now and kind of look back across the season and see where how far we've come in certain positions and where we need to go going forward so before we jump into that part we wanted to touch base on uh chris bills's recent interview with claudio reyna we had chris on the show last week and he gave us a few little previews, and now we've gotten to read this whole Q&A. So what were some of the parts that stood out to the two of you? Well, I got to say straight out the gate, shout out to Chris Bills. Like, what an interview. It is, like, so hard to get that much info out of these people, and he he killed it. It was I was, like, on the edge of my seat reading that thing. Great job, Chris. <laughs> but, um, you know, I mean, there's a lot that stood out to me. I think uh, it was just overall really encouraging, like a lot of people are feeling, just that we are going after so many pieces. I think it was exciting to see him say, like, there's potential for multiple 
DPs. And I think in his article where it wasn't just a Q&A listed, he said that he had a source in Mexico saying that they're going after two. So that was like just, you know, you kind of like hope that's happening, but you don't know if you should give hope to it. And it was cool to have that reaffirmed. So that that was really exciting for me, honestly, just to read that we could potentially be going after two DPs. I mean, I think it kind of reshapes the whole conversation around the roster. Yeah. And that's, I, I think that a lot of conversations that, that we have between the three of us and then also with other, other Austin FC fans is we look at these theoreticals and we're like, yeah, we hope this is happening. This might happen. But Chris Bills essentially asked Claudio Reyna about this. He's like, yeah, that that's an option. We, we might be looking into that. And it's like, whoa, he's, He's not denying that. So it, yeah, it's super encouraging to see um, that it, it there is a possibility of maybe getting two DPs. I mean, I, I think there's a lot, a lot of moving parts, right? Like they need a lot of things to go right in order for all this to happen correctly. But, uh, but yeah, it seems like there's a lot of stuff coming, coming down the pipe for sure. Um, yeah, what else? What else? I was going to say to tie to tie this topic back to last night, like it was really cool to see him being like excited dad. Oh, watching yeah. his son score. That was like that was, that was cool. a highlight of the game for me. Was watching him just like jump up and down in the stands and like cheer on little Geo who who had a really strong game. So I thought that was really, you know, you just like we've talked about how maybe he's not the most dynamic speaker, you know, and you to see him like this kind of um, guy in a press conference that says a lot of words without saying you know anything. Like to see that guy convert into like dad in the stance who jumps up and down when his son scores a goal that happens to be in the, you know, the storied nations league uh, final was really, was really cool. That was one of my favorite parts of that whole game was seeing that. I thought it was interesting that they were actually sitting in the stands too. Like he's Claudio Reyna. He could have gotten a box <laughs> or something probably, yeah. but it's, yeah, it's him and his wife. And I, I believe that was uh, his younger son, Joa, that was in the stands with him. But yeah, just sitting in, sitting in the stands. I, I, I'm curious to know what the people who are sitting around them thought <laughs> about all of that. But um, going going back to what you were saying about Claudio's answers, I think both he and Josh have been much more candid in the last several weeks than they ever were before. Um I think leading up to the start of the season, they had to be a bit more cagey, probably trying to hide some details, probably not really sure how much they wanted to give away because they didn't want to make like right checks that they couldn't cash essentially. And I think Chris Bills pointed this out that I he thinks it's a sign that that they're feeling confident about their plan. And so they don't mind talking about it at this point. And so Josh Wolf's press conferences have been a lot of fun lately, as whereas early on they were usually a little bit boring because he didn't actually ever give a ton of information, but he's like showing some, a little bit of attitude when he needs to, and like showing some, some real personality in the interviews and giving some real information in this interview with Chris Bills. Claudio did the same thing, gave quite a bit of information. And I, I think uh, Chris Bills is right that they probably are feeling pretty confident in all of this stuff. If, if it's something they're speaking so openly about at this point. Um, was there anything else from the article that stood out to you guys? Yeah, there's one thing I'm curious about y'all's thoughts on. It, it kind of like, I think, got overshadowed by the DP notes in the interview, but he mentioned looking for depth, possibly at center back, which I remember at the beginning of the year, and I remember because I'm still bitter about it, when I asked Glenn <laughs> Davis, shout out Glenn, hope you're listening. Um, just kidding, Glenn, I don't hate you, but I do remember this moment. When I asked him to ask Josh, how he felt about the center back depth after we had already signed all the center backs we got. 
And they both kind of responded like, what do you mean? Like we've got multiple guys and lo and behold, here we are looking <laughs> for reinforcements. And I'm curious, what did y'all think about that? Like, and what do you maybe expect from a potential center back signing just based off that interview? Well, we talked about it a little bit with uh, Bills. I mean, just looking at, we've only got two international slots left, right? If if we get DP or D, two DP level players, that fills that up. So, I mean, I guess we need to be looking for uh, clubs in the league that have surplus center backs. And I don't, I don't know who this might be. I think Phil West mentioned, who was it, RSL maybe? They just signed an international center back. It might be a little deep, but yeah, I mean, I, it's still a need. I mean, you still can't, you can't, Beasler's going to wear down. You know, at some point, Romagna can't play every single minute. Although, you know, he missed one game, but you can't have, you just can't go with that. They, they need to be deeper right. than they are. Yeah. And it, it seems like they loaned out Kleeman. And so they clearly aren't ready to start giving him regular minutes. They brought him back as kind of an emergency plan for this most recent game. But um, yeah, they don't, it doesn't really seem like they're, confident that he's ready for regular MLS minutes. And so, yeah, I, th I think with the three center backs that we have, you have to bring in that fourth one. And I think Jeremiah is exactly right. It's almost definitely got to be domestic, either a guy out of USL or, uh, yeah, so someone within the league that that's ready to play, but isn't getting time right now. You know, that's what my initial reaction was too. But I think at one point in the interview, he mentioned he, when he was talking about the DPs, he was like, we've got this flexibility, especially if we sign a young DP, he mentioned the under 22 initiative. But then he said, and we also have some ways we think we can free up cap space, which I kind of interpret as like, maybe him saying like, we've got some TAM to work with without saying it. So there's just this small inkling of me that wonders, is that going to be a more competitive center back signing? And is that the space? they're going to use to do it. And I, maybe I'm just being overly hopeful because I, I love a good center back signing, but I don't know. Part of me wonders if that's kind of what he was hinting at. I, I don't know it because a U 22 spot still takes a senior roster spot. And so I think that's another number we have to keep an eye on is, mm -hmm. is that can that center back depth take up a senior roster spot or are those all going to be filled by other places? But uh, yeah, I, that that comment that you mentioned of we've got some other ways to to be flexible. You could read that as meaning we're going to buy down Tomas Pochettino's contract with Tam yeah. and open up two DP spots. You could you could interpret that any number of ways, and I, I would I would pay a lot of money to hear Claudio expand on that that one sentence. But we'll probably not get that and have to wait until July to find yeah. out what he meant by it. It'll be exciting to see what it ends up being, but yeah, yeah, I definitely think you're right. There's lots of options on the table. All right. Y'all want to jump into our state of the team address? Let's do it. All right. So the way we're going to structure this is we'll go position by position and maybe talk a little bit about what we thought was going to happen in this spot at the beginning of the season, where we're at now and kind of where we want to see this position going forward. And then uh, we got quite a few listener questions throughout the day on Twitter. And so we're going to sprinkle some of those in as, as they're relevant to the position. But uh, yeah, lots to talk about. So let's jump right in. So position number one we're going to talk about starting at the back is goalkeeper. So what we expected at the beginning of the season <laughs> is really not what ended up happening at all. Um, we all thought Andrew Tarbell 
as uh, Ryan Riggins' daughter calls him, Andrew Doorbell, the pink boy. <laughs> um, we thought he was going to be the starter, right? I don't, I don't think. Probably leading up to that very first game, we thought there might be a chance Stuver was going to get that start. Uh, but really, up until then, I don't know that anybody thought he was going to be the guy. Yeah, I mean, I thought that that the competition was an illusion to motivate Andrew Tarbell to like work hard. And that was really all it was about just given Stuver's, you know, he hasn't played much at all. I mean, what Tarbell played probably more games last year than Stuver's like started in his whole career. So I was very surprised by that. And obviously very pleased by that. That's how, how that's all turned out too. Yeah. I think Stuver is like the prime example of kind of the, the benefits you get of hiring people who know the league. You know, because all of us were like, oh, this dude's just been a backup for so long. Like on paper, why why him almost? And Claudio clearly knew him really well from his time in NYCFC and, and knew he was a backup to really strong top caliber keepers in the league and, and saw that and took advantage of it. And I think especially when you look at a team like Miami, who's been managed from the get-go by people who maybe aren't quite as familiar with navigating MLS and just how many good players are not being very functional there. It's Stuver is just standing out to me. It's like exactly why the front office made so many good calls with these hires because they know those diamonds in the rough and we're able to pull it out. So yeah, I think he's been a revelation. He's amazing. Yeah. I think that's a great point, Chris. He's MLS is about finding value, right? If you mm -hmm. can get really solid players on low money, that's the basis of a strong roster. Brad Stuver is a prime example of that. He's making very little money and has been one of the better keepers in the league this season. So I, yeah, in I, terms of value, Stuver's damn near the dollar tree at this point. Okay. I mean, <laughs> seriously, every game. Oof. Yeah. So I, I think a lot of people at the beginning of the season were also saying like, Oh, we've got to bring in another keeper. We need, we need someone else. Do you think there's anybody saying that right now? I, I'm happy with Stuver going forward. I don't know that anybody would, would argue that at this point. Uh, yeah, I don't. I have no argument with Stuver going forward. I am curious to see Tarbell just get a run here and there, just see how he does. Um, but yeah, I Stuver should not be moved at this point. Yeah. I, one, I guess one like nitpicky thing is, and it's probably a, a symptom of what makes him good as well, is he's very comfortable and collected at the back sometimes he's a little bit too comfortable and is like tried to clear balls and ended up hitting defenders because he waited a little bit too long to release it and balls almost bouncing into the goal and things like that but um but yeah I, again very nitpicky that's one of the few complaints i've had about his play this season so yeah super happy with that uh let's move on to left back so Beginning of the season, Ben Sweat is brought in uh, from Miami. Uh, during the beginning of the season, looked looked good. I thought in preseason he looked solid. And the first game and a little bit of the second game that we saw him in, I thought he looked really good. And I was thinking like, yeah, Ben Sweat is as advertised. Like he's he he does what it says on the box, right? Uh, ends up tearing his ACL in the second game, and. Kolmanich comes in. So John Kolmanich was announced in early March, but uh, got a 
U21 Slovenia call-up. So it didn't arrive in Austin until early April and then had to quarantine. And then I think ended up training with the team for like a week or two before he makes his debut at LAFC and then comes in and has to finish the game against Colorado and then becomes the starter for the next game. So uh, what do what do we think of Kolmanich so far? Yeah, you know, I, I've been really impressed with with Kolmanich so far. I mean, if you go back and, and listen, and please, God, I hope no one's keeping receipts on any of the takes I make. Um, but I was pretty critical when we signed him. You know, I was he didn't seem like he made a lot of sense. I heard he was really shaky defensively. Um, was more of an attacking threat, which I was just scared me in a lot of ways. But I think I probably told you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so really questioning my sources here. But um, <laughs> you know, he's been he's been really strong. I think. I mean, we knew he was a good crosser of the ball, and and man, he's a good crosser of the ball. But defensively, he's he's held his own in a lot of tough one on one situations. I thought, and he looks very composed, building out of the back. Um, I've I've been I've been really happy with how he's performed so far yeah I'll, I'll probably regret saying this but i can't think of a time when a goal's resulted when it's like oh that was totally that was that's Coleman's guy or that was you know he went the wrong way or whatever like i can't think of a time when he was just like abjectly awful in defense which i think is is good yeah. and he's done a good job going forward in the minnesota game metzenier uh megged him on the end line and that that like made a couple of like little highlight reels, but if you watch what happened right after that is he hustles back and wins the ball back. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's been a few times where he like mistakes that he's made, but I, from the film that I watched of him in Slovenia playing with Mar Maribor, I really did think he was going to be a defensive liability and he has absolutely not been, I, he's been really solid. Um, but I think this lends itself well to our first listener question which is from Ricky Bishop at the Ricky Bishop on Twitter. He said, would love to know the future of left back. Does Kolmanich have an option to buy? And if so, has he done enough to consider the option or has Ben Sweat the guy? Or will you have to bring in someone else since once the season concludes? Thanks. Um, to answer the first question, does Kolmanich have an option to buy? Yes. Austin FC has loaned him with an option to buy at the end of the season. Uh, so before we answer the next question, should they buy him? Yeah, yeah, I don't see a downside to that. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a. Uh, um, does he look as well. like Thomas Pochettino? Yes, we should buy him. <laughs> um, so the second part of the question, asking about Ben Sweat. Ben Sweat, Ben Sweat's out for the rest of the season. But let's say if Ben Sweat were out for two months and was going to come back. Do y'all think Ben Sweat would even have a chance of winning that spot back at this point? I mean, I think it's less about, I think he has enough talent to be competitive and certainly as a rotation option, he's worth picking up. Um, so it's, we've gotten such a small sample size with him on this team, but I think if he comes back healthy and, and looks ready to go, like there's no reason not to take a flyer on Ben Sweat again. One thing that I was thinking about is Ben Sweat has now played for two consecutive uh, expansion teams. He was taking the expansion draft by Miami and then taking the expansion draft by Austin. No, wait, did we? He wasn't expansion draft, was he? We bought him. We, but yeah, he's one of our free agent signings, right? 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, um, yeah. So we what, whatever that thing, whatever that mechanism is called. I think it's just free. It was just free agency, right? Regardless, I think we actually we got it. I think we paid we <laughs> traded money for him, actually. I think. I had listeners let us know if we're wrong. But anyway, we brought him in. He's playing in two expansion teams in a row. Is there a possibility that he is unprotected going into next year's expansion draft and he goes and plays for a third? expansion team in three seasons yes he could easily become dax mccarthy 2.0 at this rate um but yeah i think there's totally a chance of that i i think one of the things that could be his saving grace is i i chris i think you're right he's definitely worth keeping around even if he's rotational or or backup to colmanich um seems like a really good locker room guy uh hard worker and then you know that you know what you're getting when you put him in He's also not on that much money. I think he's on 250K or something like that. And so for that reason, if you have another player who's more expensive than him and is like kind of fringe player there as well, maybe you leave this other guy. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't going to name names, but uh, yeah. If you if you have the choice to leave Danny Houston or Ben Sweat unprotected in the expansion draft, I think that's an easy choice, right? Yeah. Definitely. And so I could see that being a saving grace, just that he is cheap. And so, yeah, let's protect him because we know what we're getting out of him. Uh, but yeah, it's it's going to come down to a lot of things. So I think it is definitely a possibility that he's unprotected. And then one of these new teams sees that value and says, yeah, we'll, we'll take Ben Sweat for sure. So uh, I I hope that doesn't happen to Ben. He seems like a likable guy. I hope he gets to stick around here and play for another season or two, but uh, it's definitely a possibility. All right, moving on to center backs. So we brought in Matt Beasler, MLS and Sporting Kansas City legend, uh, got him on in free agency. Julio Cascante was traded for allocation money from Portland. <laughs> Chris raised the roof, raises the roof at the <laughs> mention of Cascante's name. Uh <laughs> Brought him from Portland on December 13th, and then later in December, uh, Johan Romagna was bought from Guarani. I think there are a lot of questions about center back early in the season, some of which were, is Matt Beasler too old? Uh, who are going to be the starters? And are any of these guys actually any good? So those were definitely questions at the beginning of the season. What are the, the answers to those questions now? Is Matt Beasler too old? What's the no. answer? Not, yes. I mean, not, not to be, no, not for, not for what he is. I mean, he's going to start <laughs> two thirds of the games and he's going to make good decisions and he's going to, he's going to be a fine player, I mean, he's not going to play all, you know, he's not going to play every match, but As he's he doing a good job. Two thirds of the game so far though, Jay. No, he's playing almost all of them. And if that's to, the plan, he is too old. <laughs> yeah. But we're, but we're about to get into a lot of, a lot of two games a week and stuff. There's no way he's going to play like, like in June, we've got 19th, 23rd, 27th. That's yeah. right. See, he's going to sit sure, one of those out. I'm sure you were saying there's no way Stuver starts before the season. So we'll see how true that <laughs> would be. I, I think that's the right answer, Jeremiah. I, is he too old to be useful? Absolutely not. But is he too old to do that every game, especially leading into these three games in seven, seven days type scenarios? Yeah, I, I think so. But um, I think talking about who the starters are, who the best two guys are, Chris Bills mentioned this in a recent article that this is working itself out. Like we shouldn't spend too much energy thinking or talking about it because 
in those weeks, we're going to have to rotate these guys. Um, if Romagna still has struggles with injury, we're going to have to rotate these guys. And so I think this is something that we've said on the show before, like we'll need to rotate. Don't cry for any of these guys who are sitting on the bench one game. Cause next game, they very well could be the starter. Um, one question that I wanted to, to know is whenever Julio Cascante was bought, it was, I guess, technically traded in MLS, you trade allocation money for a player. It was $250,000 in general allocation money is what we gave Portland for Julio Cascante. And I heard a lot of people saying that that, that was way too much that Portland fans are like, well, we would have given him to you for free, take him off our hands, whatever. We don't care. MLS pundits saying like, this seems expensive. Is, is Julio Cascante worth $250,000 in GAM now that we've seen him? Chris, I feel like you have an opinion on this. <clears throat> um, yes. So I, he absolutely has. I've, I mean, if you follow me on Twitter, which if you don't, what are you doing? Um, go do that. But like you, you know, I've developed a pretty strong opinion on Cascante. But I mean, think about it. Like he's, he's performed really well he's played for us i think people held on to that preseason nightmare moment when he just got burned uh in that houston game uh when in a one-on-one but since in the regular season he's been great i mean think about the two games he started seattle and colorado arguably two of our best games especially defensively um, and i think he's for me not to get too into tactics here but like he's provided what romania and Beasler have both kind of struggled to do which has kind of hurt us a lot and that He's better in the air at clearing balls. He's much braver with his passing out of the back and incredible line-breaking passes that I didn't even know he had in his wheelhouse. Um, I think he's proven to be very useful so far, and, and I'm, I'm honestly a little disappointed we haven't seen more of him up to this point. What about you, Jeremiah? Do you think he's worth the money? Yeah, I think he's been really good. I do want to go back to preseason because I feel like we spent a lot of time in preseason, us and everybody on Twitter and, and and everybody that wrote about the club being really worried about all three central defenders. They've all, they've, and they've all been really strong. And so I just feel like we, we do have an abundance of riches a little bit in this point. Cause he's, yeah, he's been really good. And none of the stuff that the Portland folks said about, you know, he's going to have a howler every match, I believe is kind of what everybody expected us to have. Like he's been, he's been dead to rights on everything. He's made all the right decisions. Um, and he's not been out of position yet. Yeah. You know, Jay, I, I slightly disagree with something you just said, though, because you were saying how, like, we've got, you said, like, an embarrassment of riches with center back. And I do think they've all put in good performances. And maybe this is more of a criticism on, on Wolf, which, which maybe we'll get into later more. But I, I think when I rewatch a lot of the games, I'm actually pretty concerned because there's moments where you're like, how do they not let more in? Because there's some scary moments at the back, which maybe comes more down to position, you know, how, how formationally we're, we're placing them on the field and if we're playing into their strengths. But um, I don't know, like, I think we've, we've had a good defensive record on paper, but there's been some moments I'm kind of like a better team could really exploit this. And thankfully against Seattle, we, we saw them buckle down a little bit more and, and tighten up. But I think prior to that, there's, there's some scary moments for me. So I'm, I'm interested to see how it progresses. I, I agree with that too, but I don't know how many of those moments are necessarily the center back's fault. I think yeah. they've been exposed several times by what Austin is what Austin is doing in the attack by pushing players way up high, giving the ball away in dangerous positions. 
Um, I, I'm not going to say they've played perfectly. I, I think that we have three perfectly capable center backs, but not any dominant center backs, but yeah, I, I think, I think they've been kind of, they've been made to look worse than they are by the rest of the team at times. And have kind of saved, saved the team's bacon a few times as well when, when they've been left out to dry like that. Hey, Lane, and sorry to cut for a sec, but are we going to talk about like a review of Wolf later on? Like, should I save some of the tactical stuff for later? Or can I dive into a point here? Uh, we didn't have it in, so do it here. Okay, cool. Um, you know what? I think that's pretty well said. But the one thing I'm, I'm curious what y'all think is like on that discussion of how we position our center backs and how we use them. You know, I was talking with uh, Katie Insight earlier today, actually, and she was mentioning how she was a defender when she was younger. And she gets so nervous watching us play out of the back because she says we keep breaking the one rule. I think we all heard when we were in, in soccer growing up where if people are in your half, don't play it down the middle. Like, don't play it around <laughs> back there. And even though they've been much better playing out the back, there are moments where frequently where we lose it and, and expose ourselves and put ourselves in dangerous positions. So in turn, in the realm of center backs, you know, how do you feel about how we're using them? Like, are you worried about that going forward? Have you seen improvements? Does it feel like a concern still? I think it's a thing that we need to be mindful of. And I think against Seattle, you saw Wolf being mindful of that. If you have two center backs that lack speed back there in Cascante and Beasler, you can't afford to push your fullbacks both up super high and leave them to kind of clean up messes that you make. They ended up leaving Lima a little bit deeper um, and were being pretty mindful. I mean, I think part of that was was also the way that Seattle likes to break on the counter Mm. wide using those those wingbacks i think that had to do with it but also just knowing that if you have these two guys they're going to do a lot of good things R running is not one of them and so you can't expect cascante and beasler to get in foot races and win many of them and so i think as long as you're smart about using those two guys where they are then it can be successful and i think against seattle wolf showed that he's willing to be a bit flexible in those moments and, and change some of his approach to kind of suit the personnel and, and the scenario in the game. I agree. Yeah. And I would, I would go back to, I, I do worry. It's just like this, the way they play is a little bit stressful because we talked about it a little bit with Stuver. Like he just, it's, it's like at the last minute when somebody's on top of him is when he like th passes the ball out to build. And I feel like it's a little bit of the same with the center backs to, to the point that Katie made where, you know, it's just, it's, I think it's a club learning the system and hopefully as they, they learn it and they get more proficient at it, it won't be as much of a, a moment of fear whenever they're doing that, because I think it'd be put in those positions and when they have to make decisions, they're making the good choices. And it's just the way it's all coming together is sort of what makes them look a little more terrifying than maybe they, they should be. Yeah. I think you're right, Jay. I think they're going to continue to kind of like solidify how they play out of the back and it's going to get smoother. And, and Landon, to your point too, you know, one of the other things I thought we did well against Seattle, kind of in the same vein of keeping Lima deeper, but just in general, everyone got back quicker and dropped into a defensive shape quicker, which is people talk about Nashville being this like model defensive team in the league. It's not because they parked the bus. It's because when they lose possession, everybody hustles back, like full sprint, gets into shape, 
and resets. And I think Seattle was the first time I saw us really do that. And I don't see many teams in the league do it. So in general, I think if, as long as we're dropping back, whether it's a fullback or someone from the midfield, just to support them and not expose them with these like one-on-one full sprints uh, with people who are obviously faster than them, then I think it, it brings out their, their strengths a lot more and they look a lot better. So hopefully like in Seattle, we see that a little bit more moving forward. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's move on to right back, which leads us to a Twitter question from Joel Pinkney. He says, what's your overall assessment of Nick Lima's performance so far? Has he done enough to make you comfortable with him as a long-term fixture at right back, or at least not to have to prioritize finding a better option? Um, I think the answer for me is a resounding yes. What What do you think, Jeremiah? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I mean, he's got... He's not the perfect player, but you know you can't, you don't have a hundred percent like superstars all across the board. So he's he's done a good job. He's he's performed effectively, and I cannot imagine like that. That's on my list of uh, priorities of people that we need to replace. Yeah, I think he's the one player that has proven to be exactly what I thought he'd be: good, not great. You know, but al- always good though. But always right? good. Like yeah, yeah, consistent. absolutely. Yep. And this is one of the talking about like what players are worth and the money that Austin FC spent. They paid five hundred thousand dollars in allocation money to San Jose for Nick Lima, which at the time it's a lot of money, right? At the time, I thought it was a fair deal. Now looking back, I think maybe it's a little high, but I to me, I think it's a situation of an expansion team being allocation money rich and. Um, just having a little bit of extra allocation money to throw around. Uh, but like you said, you know what you're getting. Really solid defensive presence, really hard worker, uh, d- decent going forward. He's been a little bit underwhelming for me in the attack. I, I, I really thought he would be able to do more in the attack, and he hasn't really done much to make, like to change a game or like break a play open. But um, But defensively, I think he's been great. Landon, just wait. We still haven't gotten our annual Nick Lima banger from outside the box. So he'll he'll justify that price tag once oh, we God. get it. He, I cringe every time he shoots because he's not hit a good shot once this season. I think he's probably taken five or six shots so far, and they've all either been scuffed or like 10 feet wide of the goal or whatever it was. And so I would honestly be happy if he didn't take another shot all season. <laughs> Hey, Chris guaranteed us a banger on the expansion draft show if we need to pull the tape. So um, we're waiting on it. Uh, Jeremiah, please never reference anything I've said before. It's largely (laughs) wrong. (laughs) So thinking about depth at right back, we we all just said Nick Lehman is the starter and we're happy with that. As far as depth goes, uh, Hector Jimenez was was the depth. He's injured right now. We're not we're not sure when he's coming back. So as of right now, we don't have a backup. Who who do y'all think would actually be the guy if if we needed to put someone at that position? I mean, if Segura comes back from injury, I think he's played right back a little bit. Not his strongest position, but he could probably fill that space if need be. But I, I don't know other than that. Aiden Stanley? I mean, he's the only other non-center Maybe back we have, right? I, John Gallagher has played right back before. <laughs> I'd play him anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think this is the thing that's like haunted him his entire career is that he keeps getting moved around out of necessity. And so I would feel bad for him if he had to play right back. But honestly, I think that might be 
the answer. Maybe you could throw, I know Pereira is injured right now, but maybe you could throw Danny back there. Um, I don't know. We just, the back line is really thin right now. And so I don't know it when Jimenez is healthy. I, I thought he looked good, like a perfectly capable backup in that position and maybe probably more dangerous going forward than, than Lima is. Man, I'll throw out a name just in case anyone wants to like over fantasize about potential signings. If we're talking about a defensive signing from in the league, that's not a big bill player. I think his name is Anton walks from Atlanta. He's a center back who also can play defensive midfield and right back. Um, And he's, I believe on like 200, 250 K a year. That's what um, I was about to look up. I was going to see what his salary was. Yeah, so that it's a, that's the kind of player profile I think if if you end up being right landed and that's what we're looking at, like that could be a potential signing that, that could solidify a few spots at once, right? Yeah, I think when we were talking earlier about what we needed, that's that's really what it is. Like we need somebody. We don't need somebody to compete to be a starting center back, but we need somebody who can provide depth in multiple positions right now. Yeah, but Jeremiah also wants somebody to compete at center back. So I mean, needs well, versus wants for me. Not here. only, <laughs> not not only compete at center back, but also provide depth across the board. How about that? I can get behind that. All right, this leads to another uh, question from Twitter. This is Kevin Morris. Um, he says, "Should we try a three center back formation with Kolmanich and Lima as wing backs against Seattle? We kept the fullbacks home, which shored us up defensively." But offensively, we couldn't create much, especially with the wingers pinned to the sideline. Wingbacks give a little more flexibility and allow a winger to tuck in and combine with Cecilio. Do do either of you have an opinion on this? Because I do. I have an opinion on everything, unfortunately. But uh, I, I, I've got to say, disclaimer, my favorite formation in the game is a three-center back, high-flying wingback system. I don't think that's what we should do. I think that if you use your nine almost like a false nine, it's kind of hard to incorporate wingbacks because you have to build through the middle rather than out on the the bylines. And when you utilize wingbacks in that kind of formation, you kind of have to play through the side. Um, so as much as I would personally love it, I I wouldn't want us to go that route with the players we've got. Yeah, I agree with what you just said. And another reason why I don't, don't really like the idea is what I just mentioned about Nick Lima is I don't, I don't really like what he has to offer going forward. I think he's more useful sitting a bit deeper, building up possession and being a defensive presence. As far as going forward, I don't, I don't think he, like Coleman is sure, like let him get forward and, and be a, a more creative player. But Lima, I don't really like it there. Um, also, you have to think of, who you're bringing in and who you're taking out in that moment. Right now, we only have three center backs. And so you're going to play all three of your healthy center backs in the same game. I guess we have four with Kleeman now. Kleeman's back, so it doesn't yeah, seem like he's Kleeman. going anywhere. And, <laughs> okay, respect <laughs> Kleeman. Um, so I think that's part of it is you have to think about that. But then also our deepest positions are on the wings and in midfield. And so you have to pull one of those guys out to bring in a center back. And I'm not sure who you bring out, like who you take out that's worth taking out and putting in that third center back. Um, So yeah, I, 
a few reasons. I, I think it's if we had someone else, uh, like even Hector Jimenez on that right wing, if we didn't have Lima there, I could see that being a thing. Or maybe using Lima as one of the three center backs. We've seen uh, Nuhu do that for Seattle. We've seen um, what's the guy for uh, for Chelsea that used to be Aspilicueta. You don't that care used to about be... the Premier League. I'm talking about Austin FC. <laughs> talking about the best league in the world. You, used best to team be in the f- world. Used to be a fullback and is now playing in that back three quite a bit. And so um, I could see Nick Lima doing quite well in a position like that as well. But uh, as far as him on the wing, I don't think I really like it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. Who knows? Could be worth a try. The only other thing I could see is just like a, if you really dropped ring deeper and kept him there and played him almost like a center, like a middle center back. I could, I could see that. And I think uh, New York City, where ring comes from, does that quite a bit with their defensive midfielder, maybe a little more than we do. So, but past that, I don't think we'll, we'll see like a full on three center back. That's what um, Atlanta has done a lot with Santiago Sosa. Yeah. This year is they'll play a back three with him in the middle and then he'll actually push the ball forward and kind of be the start of the attack from from really deep. But when they drop back, he's he's the middle man in that in that back three. So, yeah, that that could be another option as well as playing him deeper. But I think you maybe miss his presence in in the middle of the pitch as well with as much tempo setting and, and kind of controlling the attack as he does. So. Um, that's a good segue to the six ring has, he let us down against Kansas city with that red card, but he's, he's still the boss, right? Like he's the man for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's his one red card ever. As he reminded everybody, there's one <laughs> red card as an MLS player. So we can count on that not happening again. Yeah. So we don't have to spend too much time talking about him, but what about depth? Uh, the one game that he did have to sit out because of that red card, we saw Danny Pereira get the nod to start at the six. I don't think Pereira did a great job in that position. His best moments were when he got to carry the ball forward. And then later in the game, when he did move further forward, he looked a lot stronger. Um, so we still haven't gotten a shot to see little Sebastian in real competition at that spot. But what we saw out of him in preseason, I was pretty pleased with. Yeah. My only note on this position is, I want to see us let little Sebastian out of the stables a bit. You know, I just want a, a little more game time with him and, and just see what he can do. Cause people forget he was kind of the big youth prospect out of Columbus before. I don't even remember the other dude's name. Cause I don't Aiden care about Morris. that. Team. Thank you. Yeah. That guy, uh, you know, before he stepped up towards the end of the season. So like he's still a hot youth prospect. I want to see more of what he can do. Yeah. And I think one of my concerns with, with Sebastian was that he's not going to be able to do the defensive work that ring does in the same way. But I think the guys, the other guys in the midfield have all proven that they can, they can step in and and carry a little bit of that weight. I, I severely underestimated what Fagundes and Pochettino were going to be able to bring in that regard, but they've been really fantastic in the press and kind of their defensive work rate and tracking back. They've, they've all three of those rotational guys in the midfield have been really, really good in that regard. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And also, I mean, this is another one where when we get into three matches a week in August, like Ring's not going to be able to play every minute either. And it would be good to get 
Berhalter a little time now to get acclimated before we absolutely need him. Yeah, for sure. That's another player that's a loan with an option to buy. One thing we, I don't think we've had confirmed is there's a possibility that Columbus could recall his loan during the next transfer window in July. Uh, that Aiden Morris, who we just mentioned, was uh, tore his ACL at the beginning of the season, and so I could see a situation where they want that depth back and try to bring him back. I imagine it all comes down to the arrangement that Austin made with Columbus in that they may have protected themselves from that and said, no, we, he's ours until the end of the season. And we'll talk about it then. But, um, but yeah, I, I agree with y'all. I, I, I wouldn't mind seeing him get a run out in, in some of these busier moments. And yeah, I, I, I believe in him. I think he could do a good job. All right, moving a little bit forward to the the free eights or the tens, whatever you want to call them. Uh, right now, Pochettino and Fagundes really seem to be the top picks. Uh, Danny Pereira, or I don't, Jeremiah, I don't know if you uh, noticed this in the press call with Wolf last week. He was calling him Pepe. No, I didn't. I don't like that, but I did not, I did not pay attention to that. <laughs> it must I don't be like, like that. <laughs> a nickname that's that's like arisen in the locker room. And I was always curious how they differentiate the two Dannys in the locker room. And apparently D- Danny Pereira is now Pepe. Uh, we'll have to try to see if we can get some player confirmation if that's what the players are calling him, or if that's just a pet name that Josh Wolf came up with. But well, um, Danny, if you're listening, Jeremiah does not approve. So find a new <laughs> nickname. Okay. Uh, but he's, he's injured right now. Uh, he was, a really solid part of that rotation and was the starter for a little while. And so um, I think this is one of the stronger areas of the field, but Diego Fagundes, I think has been one of the bigger surprises of the season for me. Anyway, I think there's a lot of people who, who had pretty high hopes for him early on, but um, what is, what has it been like? What are your thoughts on Diego Fagundes this, this far in the season, Jeremiah? Yeah, he's been really good, and he just seems to be bought into the city and the system and, like, what Josh Wolf is going to do. You know, we heard at New England he, like, didn't like to play defense, basically, but apparently, I don't know. I mean, my perspective is that it seems to be, like, a personality conflict with Bruce and nothing else because he's run a million miles every match, and he has tracked back, and he's done all the dirty work that we were told that he didn't want to do. There was a reason that he hadn't been playing as much as he, he, he over the last couple of years as he had been in the past. Yeah, I, my biggest measuring stick for a player and how I feel about them, for better or for worse, is effort on the field. You know, you can be, you can have a bad game, but if I think you're hustling and really putting your playing with your heart on your sleeve, then I'll I'll still scream your name. And he does it every time. Like you gotta respect it. He and like you said, he's he's just adopted the city so much. He posts on Instagram today at Juice Land. I was just like, was this man born here? I mean, every <laughs> he's like on the river or on the lake this weekend. Like he's just you gotta love him. Yeah, he's he's been one of the the more fun stories for sure. Uh, going back to Pochettino, Gabe Kirchner on Twitter asked, "What lineup or formation tweaks would help us get the most out of Pochettino?" Do we think is it a lineup or a formation thing, Chris? You look like you have an idea. Sh- share it with us. Hey, I gotta be honest. When Gabe tweeted this, I was like, "Why have I not like obsessed over this before?" And I started like 
watching some clips again of him prior to joining us. And I actually was really surprised. I think he gets a lot of criticism lately because he's got this DP status and he hasn't uh, performed in a big enough way yet. But I, I've got a big opinion on Pochettino. I, I really think he's kind of the sleeping giant of this team right now. And I think a lot of it, to Gabe's question, is down to Josh Wolf not bringing that out of him yet. Somewhat, I think it's down to as well, he's a foreign player in a new league with a lot of expectation. It just, it takes time to, to find your form for some people who come here. Um, so there's nothing wrong with that. But I was looking at it um, in, in all of his highlight clips even, his biggest strengths are when he's his best moments better yet are when he's got like just an extra second on the ball and can really crank that foot back and either whether he's deep hit a long cross field um, switch of play kind of pass, or if he's high up the field, just rip a shot from outside the box. It's always though, when he's got like just an extra foot of space to really like wind that, that foot back and, and do something after he's gotten a chance to look up. And I just don't see that in how we're playing. I, he's always spaced either on his own. So like when ring or one of the center backs gets in the ball, he's got no passing options and people instantly crowd him because it's like an easy, obvious moment to press. Um, or he's, he's pushed too far up and, and isn't when he is given the ball, he's like crowded by 10 guys defensively and offensively because we've just got everyone in the same space. So I think, to answer Gabe's question, if you space the team out more, which we saw, I think, a lot of in Seattle, um, and and I would, I would, I'd actually I'd describe it like this, y'all. Wolf's system, one of the big things he hasn't mastered yet that it's designed to do is you crowd one side of the field and you leave the opposite winger wide open and you quickly switch the ball so that they've got this wide open one-on-one -on -one moment and can shine. Cecilio is largely the guy they're going to try to utilize for that I think in the same sense, you try to replicate that in the midfield. So you start to crowd one size, one side, let Pochettino drift a little to have some free space where he can think for a second, look up and then crank that foot back and either get a beautiful cross in or take a long shot from distance or just dribble through the line. That's when you're going to see the best out of him is we've got to pull the defense towards one direction and then switch it to him where he's got the space to to kind of do his thing, you know? And I think right now we're just finding him in moments where he has no options or he's, he's got no opportunity to find an option because he's so crowded. Well, that touches on something that I, I like I've been thinking about and then credit to the top flight guys for kind of bringing it up um, last week. But I've, you know, our best half of uh, offense was when he was with the mysterious, you know, not playing at all thing. And I, I think in Colorado, like I think today because of the way, because of the way he performs in the system and what the system's doing right now, like I don't think he's part of our best three-man midfield. If Danny Prayer is healthy, I, I would say to that, I don't think that's wrong as far as like our best half. But I would say it comes down to if you want to play the short game or the long game. Because if you're saying our best three-man midfield for tomorrow, let's that's, what, keep that's what I'm saying right now. Right, but, yeah, right. But now. in the same sense, right? Like maybe tomorrow it's worth. We get a better result if we don't play him. But if we do play him, let him find his form. The second half of the season, we may be way better. So in that sense, I still want to keep him in because I think he's got a, a much higher ceiling than our other midfield options. So, yeah, I see some of the logic behind it for now, but I still think he's like a player you want to let play through and find his form because when he does switch it on, I think we're all going to see like, oh, this is why we got this guy. Like, don't forget, before we signed him, 
he was rated player of the tournament in Argentina for their cup competition. Like he's a big player. We just got to give him a minute to unlock. This is something that Wolf has talked about a lot is it takes time for foreign players to kind of bed into the league, get used to the physicality, used to the travel. Um, he's new to this league. He's, I don't believe he's ever lived outside of Argentina before. And so it's, it's a lot to, to deal with and a lot to get used to from all anything, everything we can see from the outside, he's putting in the work. He's working really hard in the field mm -hmm. from what we're being told. He's working hard in training and in, uh, in workouts and things like that. I, I think you're right, Chris, that you can see that it's there. He is a good player. And I think if, and to answer Gabe's question more specifically, I don't know that it's necessarily a lineup or a formation thing. I think it's an execution thing, both on the part of the team and the part of Pochettino himself. Just like understanding what Wolf wants to do and as a team and as an individual and kind of getting all those things to gel in, maybe bringing in some of these additional pieces in the summer helps that as well in just having some more creative players to play off of. Um, speaking of bringing in other players, uh, from Chris Bills' conversation with Claudio Reyna, it sounds like that they might be looking at a DP number 10 as well as potentially a, a young DP striker, like a young money striker. But in any case, it looks like they're looking at either a, a 10 or a striker or both. So... Let's say that they do bring in a DP number 10. What does that look like for this midfield? What does it mean for Fagundes and Pereira and Pochettino if they bring in a DP 10? Well, I think it means I think it means less time for Fagundes and Pereira, probably, you know, and more is the more rotational players. Like, and as good as Danny Pereira has been now, as a 20-year-old first, you know, first pick in the super draft out of Virginia, you know, it, I think a little more time on the bench and a little more seasoning would probably be good. And it would probably lead. It would probably mean we better had a better club overall. Like he's been good for what we've been asking of him, but I wonder if we're asking too much of mm -hmm. him given who he is and how much he's played. Yeah, that's a good point. I think too, you know, I was like getting really in the weeds a minute ago on like how to bring Pochettino into the game more like executionally and tactically. But that's a that's the simple answer is if you get a DP number 10, who's going to draw three guys to him, you get him the ball straight out of the back. He pulls like a magnet, all these defenders to him. And then Pochettino's wide open to do his thing. You just, that's a quick, simple pass away. And suddenly you've got this guy with enough time to do what he wants to do. And it kind of opens your attack up in a lot of ways. So I, it, it's a cool thought to think about. And there are some really exciting players. I can imagine that position that, um, would, would do something like that. So it's it's cool to think that if we added potentially our best or one of our best players in that role, like just how much better it could make people like Pochettino around them. Yeah, I think not only tactically helping Pochettino, but probably psychologically helping him as well. I think Pochettino has lost the ball more than any other player on the team. And I think sometimes it comes down to him just trying to do a little bit too much. Yeah, I think he I probably feels a little bit of that weight that I, I need to make something happen because I don't know who else is going to do it right now. If he knows this guy beside him is going to make stuff happen, then it frees him up to just kind of play his game and, and settle into what, it, what comes natural as, as opposed to what 
he thinks he should do or what he and maybe forcing a little bit less. He, he really does seem in his head. And I would go so far to say too, that um, I think it was against Colorado. What was the game where he like, he just ripped it from way downtown and hit the crossbar. Was that Colorado? Oh, no, he was no, out he in that one. It was Minnesota. No, right. Not Colorado. Then yeah, Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota. If that goal goes in and he feels the confidence of that we're probably talking about him in a totally different way. And he's probably thinking about himself on the field in a totally different way and, and pulling off some of these moves a little more confidently. So I really do think he's just that one great performance, one big goal, one beautiful assist away from kind of like stepping into his own a bit. And one of the things that uh, Diego talked about, because we're just like a Diego Fagundes love fest podcast. As it should uh, be. As it should be. Uh, this week on the press conferences, he talked about uh, sort of taking Pochettino along and, and just like trying to help him like build his confidence. And he was like training with him individually and like really trying to connect and bond with him. And I think that's probably could be very meaningful because what's actually on the press, on, Josh this week talked about how hard it is to get like people, the players bonding outside of just like in training because normally like you, you all go to, you know, the go-kart track and race mm-hmm. or you have like big cookouts, like all these things you can't do now because of COVID. And it's like, it makes it harder for the foreign players to adjust. And I think that, um, that that's the thing that's probably under sort of undervalued, underreported. And, but it was cool to see Diego specifically talking about like taking Pochettino under his arm and like connecting with him, like in training and like personally and all those other things. And then it can only lead to good outcomes. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, you could see like a lot of the, the Spanish speakers, on the team are either a little bit younger than Pochettino or have families. And so I could, yes, Fagundes is around his age, a little bit older than him. And uh, yeah, I, I, you, you forget that these guys are people too. Right. And then they're having to deal with a lot of other stuff. So yeah, I, I think little things like that, just finding a connection with another player, uh, getting a rhythm in training with another, with another guy, I think stuff like that can, can really, go a long way. And I, I, I still think that Tomas Pochettino is going to be a really big player in this league. And I think it, it could happen as soon as the end of this season. So I'm not super worried about him. Uh, I, I think we're still going to see big things from him. All right, let's move over to the right wing. At the beginning of the season, uh, a lot of people outside of Austin, definitely like general MLS pundits, we're all predicting Reddit's like, okay, they're bringing in this young guy from, from South America. He's definitely going to be a starter. I didn't think that was necessarily going to be the case. He didn't have a great season at Guarani. We had Ulysses Segura on the team. I kind of thought just for having a veteran presence, um, someone, you know, what you're going to get out of him. I kind of figured the beginning of the season, Segura would be the starter. And then Redis would have the opportunity to win that spot, uh, throughout the season. Um, did y'all, did, did either of you think this, or did you ever see anybody predicting that Jared Stroud was going to be our written and pin starter on the right wing? Wait, y'all didn't predict Jared Stroud would be the standout player, really? <laughs> um, no, obviously I did not. I, I was in the same boat as you, Landon, until Segura was was injured. I thought he was going to be the guy, and I still. I'm like, um, as a side note, I'm excited for him to come back when he does because I do think people don't realize he's he could be a starter on this team. He's he's got a lot of talent, but yeah, Jared Stroud's been a, a really pleasant surprise. But I'd say in the same vein, people like Redis have been kind of a, a letdown so far. It's I think it's going to take a, a bit of time for them to really fully adjust and come out of their shell on the field. 
I don't think we even knew what position Stroud was going to play. Yeah. I thought he was going to be down the middle. <laughs> he did that a lot for Red Bulls, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's kind of came out of nowhere. has been one of the only bright spots or the brightest spot in a few of our games so far. So, um what I don't know what are your thoughts on Stroud overall like what is his ceiling or like what what do you expect to see out of him the rest of the season as we maybe bring in some bigger name guys around him I think he's somebody else who's gotten sort of the most out of his ability and he's he's good for who he is but I could see him being replaced like in a in a really threatening attack I think there have to be better options out there yeah, I'm curious because isn't he only 24, 25? He's still pretty relatively young. He's no older than 24. I would I would guess around 24. Right, and I, I don't know. When you think about that and you think that he was only in uh, New York Red Bulls for, I think, a year before that he was in the USL. So this really could be his kind of break onto the scene um, in a sense if he gets more minutes. So I don't know. Jay, I agree with you. It could easily be like, you know, a few months down the road we see Red as – hit for him and take a spot and we don't see much of Stroud anymore. But I think in the same vein, he could be one of those guys that breaks out and and doesn't get high, just a high enough ceiling to move abroad and just stays in as a really good player in MLS. So I could see it going either way, but he's been great so far. Real quick. Do y'all think there's any chance that we see this playmaking signing be a right wing as instead of a 10? I just based on the interviews, no, but like logically I could see it, but they haven't hinted at it at all. So now now that I'm thinking about it, I think Claudio explicitly said somebody next to Pochettino. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think he has, but maybe he meant next to him on the right wing. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, we have a question from Idea Jason. This came from Reddit. Is that right, Jeremiah? Yes, Idea Jason, who started listening based upon some recommendation on Reddit like 11 weeks ago and decided to ask a question today, 80, 80 days later. <laughs> Thanks, Idea Jason. Uh, so he says he has a few questions. Why can't we keep the wings forward movement consistent? Early runs fade later in the game. Um I think we'll answer these one at a time, I guess. I I think this is a lot to do with just execution in the attacking third. Our forwards, the front three guys, haven't gotten a lot of touches on the ball in general. And I think it's um, just leads. It it comes down to execution. Do do you guys have an opinion on, on what can be done better to get our, our wingers and more involved in the game? Well, different wingers. No, I think it's just the way we, I think it's just the way we play. I mean, at this point. Yeah, I think it's it's I hate to give such a simple answer. It really is one of those. You got to let the system iron itself out. Uh, I think, too, he talked about like runs fading later in the game. It, it, and that's largely because when you don't have a really strong understanding of how to press as a team, your wingers often have to do a lot of the pressing because they can cut in and press and go up to press they have like that just large zone they could potentially cover and so it it wipes you out in a big way so like later in the game it's kind of harder to be that uh, attacking contributor because you've been 
running a bit more than you probably should to compensate for a lack of understanding as a team press. Um, but I think once we iron that out a bit, once especially we start to play through the middle more and figure out how we want to utilize guys like Pochettino, those wingers will have less responsibility, not have to drop as deep, have more flexibility in the runs they can make, and then we'll start to see them impact the game a little bit better. So uh, idea Jason's second question is, you know, those man sports bra trackers, how much does the data from those go into making substitution decisions? So I did some, uh, I, I listened to a bunch of interviews with Dave Tinney, who's our high performance director. Whenever he was hired, I was trying to figure out what does this guy actually do? And in a lot of the interviews, he kind of talked about what kind of data they're tracking and using. From what I understand, and I could be wrong, I think you theoretically could use this data in game to make decisions, but I think for the most part, it's being used. Uh, you're you're analyzing that after the game. You're analyzing it after training, and using it to kind of plan what kind of workload you're going to put on that player during the week and how many minutes you think they can go in the next game. I think it's more making decisions for the future. Um, I could be entirely wrong. Listeners, if any of you know, if if they do use in-game data to to make substitutions or to like to make other decisions during the game, let us know. So I, I think you theoretically could, but I'm not sure how often that's actually happening at this point. Uh, and then the third question is, I can't get over the stripes. You guys, I wish we wore white all the time. Uh, Wait, like the yeah, home jersey? Yeah, the home jerseys. What? What are you talking about? I love the stripes. <laughs> I agree. I love the stripes. I'm a bit, I'm a fan of the stripes. I'm I'm a big stripes fan too. I'm I'm I either like a kind of a solid kit. Um, I'm I'm always a big fan of like classic Liverpool Chelsea kits, just like really iconic looking things. I also really like stripes and hoops, and so I, I'm a fan of the stripes. Sorry, Jason. Listen, you're, I did, you're Jason. You clearly just like the white kit because you can more easily see this the sports technology bra through it. So <laughs> let's just let there it go, go and enjoy the beautiful stripes. All right. Moving on to one of the most controversial positions is the number nine. So beginning of the season, we had uh Danny Hoosen, Aaron Schoenfeld. Schoenfeld gets injured. I think has he even dressed for a game at this point? No. So he never 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 even got to travel for a game. He's back in training now, so we might see him back soon, but essentially left us with Hoosen and then a makeshift striker and John Gallagher, who ended up being our most dangerous striker for large stretches of, of those first several games. Um, yeah, I, I think this is probably one of the positions that we need one of these, these DPs in. So the question from Twitter is from uh, Bryce Cathcart. He says, I'm sure I'm not the only one thinking this, but who is your ideal striker we could realistically bring in to use a DP slot? Or do we need to use a DP for another area on the pitch? Uh, Chris, I think you have some opinions on this one. Uh, surprise, surprise. I <laughs> um, yes, I think way too much about this. I have to say, I'm kind of surprised to hear that we're leaning towards a young DP in this role. I always just assumed this was going to be the big staple signing. Uh, and maybe it still turns out to be, but um, yeah, I think that's the one role that's really been a letdown. I'm, I was holding out for Houston to get better, but at this point, I'm I'm starting to get really doubtful. Um, just between his his attitude and his lack of performance, it just seemed pretty poor. So, and and even still, like even if Schoenfeld 
does come back into the picture, like he's not a starting caliber striker. You know, that's a depth signing. So to answer his question, though, uh, for anyone else who likes to overly obsess over potential signings, I've got three names I would throw out that fit the bill of this 20 to 26-year-old potential signing that Reyna said he's looking for in that interview. Um, a couple that could be MDPs and one that could be like a full-on DP if I can have the floor to dive in for a moment. Go for it. All right. Uh, first up, the um, obvious that we've been linked with before is uh, Ake Loba, who's currently at Monterey. Um, and he's kind of like a just a depth piece at striker um, for Riados, but he uh, before I think he was at Puebla and was a pretty solid contributor. He's like this young, I would, I would describe him as like a mix between Husson's skill sets and Gallagher's and that he like loves to push the line and make those runs. He's very quick, um, but he's also pretty decent at his holdup play of those like quick connecting passes and then taking a full sprint forward, which, you know, you could see um, he's only 23 years old too. Like the signing could make a lot of sense if we're looking for a young profile player. Um, Seems like a pretty confident finisher as well from yeah. what little film I've watched on him. Yeah, he's he's a pretty exciting player and one of those two that you can tell hasn't really hit that ceiling yet. Um, and so maybe this is the move that does it. So I've uh, already been linked with him, so nothing new there, but could see it happening for those reasons. Uh, not a young DP, but someone I've, I've long thought would fit the bill for us. And ironically, is another Rayados player is Vincent Janssen, who is a, a Bryce, I think I saw in your, your picture, you're a Tottenham fan. So hopefully you appreciate the shout out, but he's a former Spurs player, didn't quite perform. Uh, I think he started his career in the Dutch league and was like golden boot winner one season, broke out, scored like over 20 goals, had an amazing season, moved to Spurs, didn't quite perform, and then moved to Mexico. And he's been pretty decent there as far as his like minutes per goal. I can't remember off the top of my head, but you know, he largely gets played out by uh Funis Mori, but he he does well when he plays and he's great at that like drop deep, hold the ball up, be the big body, pull the rest of the uh players into the game. But he's also like he kind of surprises you when you watch his highlight reel. He's pretty good when he just gets the ball near goal, like dribbling through a couple guys and doing something kind of crazy. Like He's not what he's really known for, but he's got in his bag. And I think he's 26, so still kind of fits that profile of players. I know they've been rumored uh, to um, be wanting to sell him and uh, the MLS teams have been interested in the past just because he's, you know, he's that kind of guy that could be your, your staple player. And he's stuck behind, like, I think their top scorer in history in Funes Mori. So it's a, it's a signing I could see happening if they decide to use a big DP spot on that striker role. And I think he's like, skill-wise perfect for what we want that position to do. Um, and then the last name I'd throw out is another potential young DP, which is a Club America player. Uh, I think it's Federico is his first name, Federico Vinas. Um, he's a 22-year-old, I believe, Uruguayan, um, who had, I believe it was like last fall, like some really great moments with them. Was starting to get more minutes, really showed up big. Again, quick, good link-up play really good finisher when he's when he's in the zone um, i don't know if you said this but he's at club america right now yes right? club america and uh i think since their new coach came on he just has not been getting a lot of playing time and so his value is dropping a little bit um which may put him within reach for that kind of young dp signing um i think transfer market has enlisted like at five million um, which is totally within the range of what we've been spending whether that's you know totally accurate or not like could be within reason. And, and that's 
I think that would be my ideal signing right now. If we're going to use that striker role as a young DP, get a guy who's done it on a big stage, is young, is going to grow a lot. Um, and he's got the skill sets. You know, he can hold up the ball. He's quick. He's dynamic. He's, he seems pretty technical. And he's, he's got some great finishes. Like, go check him out because I'd be thrilled if that's the kind of signing we can pull off. And uh, shout out to Kako. I was, he's a big Club America fan. And I was asking him, like, Oh, like how realistic does that signing seem to you? And he he kind of had an inkling that it could possibly happen with just the direction the new coach is going in. I think Henry Martin just signed a new contract, who's their big striker. So it's it's something that could be on the table. I, I think you're looking in the right spots too, right? Like the benches of big Liga and Mekis teams have proven pretty good scouting grounds for MLS clubs over the last several years. And so looking at a team like Monterey, who has these three strikers in Janssen, Funes Mori, and Loba. If Funes Mori is is probably the most proven of those guys and the the most valuable to that team, and so you could see them either leaning on this experience and a, a more proven player and keeping Janssen and selling on Loba, or uh, keeping this youth prospect in and getting rid of Janssen and making a little bit of money off of him. Right. I think those could definitely happen. And someone like Vinyas, who is maybe a younger, uh, less important player for a big team like America. Again, those are the right spots to be looking for in, in who this these players are going to be. But it could be any number of of dozens of, right. of different guys. But yeah, I think I think I think you're right in look like looking at these kinds of players for sure. Well, I keep texting Josh and Claudio telling them who to sign, and they have not listened so far. So we'll see. But so going to the last position we have here is the left wing. Uh, Cecilio, that's been his spot, right? Um, going back into the nine a little bit, I think against Seattle, when he played at the nine, that's some of the best we've looked, as f- especially in that position. I think got way more touches on the ball than than uh, Gallagher or Houston have been able to do. Um, got a lot more involved in build up, did a really good job in the press as well. So was useful on the defensive side of the ball. If we were to move Cecilio to, uh, to the nine until we can bring in reinforcements there, who would you guys want to see at the left wing? Well, I don't, I'm not, I don't think we should move Cecilio to the nine until we wanted reinforcements. Cause it's only, what three more matches away or something possibly. I mean, it's not, it's not that much longer. And I feel like with the way Josh is done to date, like I think we should keep building the system with the people and the places that they are, where they're going to be ultimately where they're going to, where they're going to be. Like, I think that time on the left wing for Cecilio fitting him with everybody else is, is more important than putting him in at the, at the nine. That's a big question, right? Like, do you, you build his uh, his comfort on the left wing by playing him there, or you build his confidence by putting him in a position where he's going to get more touches on the ball. And I don't I don't know the answer. Um, let's say that he is definitely going to play at the nine for the next few games. Jeremiah, who would you want to play on that left wing in his place? Then I think it's we we do what we did in Seattle and have Gallagher and Stroud um, on the wings. And Chris what about you, Chris? shaking his head. Disagree. Um, and I, and not <laughs> I know who you're going to say. You're going to say Mane. Of course. Of course. I don't know why we haven't played him more. And I, I think 
Gallagher did well against Seattle. I'm not like anti Gallagher at all on the wing, but Mane is like, he's the dude that comes on. He just, he tries stuff, you know, like he goes for it and he's, he's like an explosive player. And I think uh, if you, you realize like Cecilio can bring those kind of wingers into the game more than we've been seeing with someone like Houston up top, like I'm dying to see Mane get a full 60, 70 minute run. Cause if, you know, he's like one clever pass from Cecilia away from being like one-on-one with somebody like that's his moment to shine. Like that's his whole wheelhouse. So I'm, I'm really curious to see him get a run of time. And I, I that would be my pick for sure. I, I wouldn't mind seeing some of Mane, but I think for me, he's still like maybe a late in the game substitution. I, you just seen him be inconsistent through the span of his career. And I'm wondering if maybe Wolf doesn't entirely trust him to, to stick to the plan all the time. Um, I think where he shines is like his unpredictability and kind of his explosive movement and creative movement when he has the ball at his feet. But um, it could be a thing where Wolf doesn't necessarily trust him to, to do all the right things when he doesn't have the ball at his feet, but I could be wrong, but that's, that's kind of my guess right now. I just think that right now we're hurting the most in the attack and we need big moments more than we need consistency. So I would give him the go. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll see if, if Kakuta gets some more minutes there. Um, we've gone through all of the positions. We do have a few more, Listener questions, though. Uh, one from Ryan Riggins. With the summer transfer window approaching, which do you all want to, which do you want us to reinforce and why? Bonus points if you can give a player we should go after in that role. Chris, you already kind of named some players. If let's let's rephrase it this way: if you could choose, if you had to choose one position to reinforce with a designated player, what would it be? I think I know the answer, but <laughs> what would it be? Well, I mean, if I only got to pick one, it'd be the nine. But I'm I'm excited at the idea of what Rain is saying of like or hinting at, right? Like a big DP number ten and a an additional young DP at the nine. But yeah, if I had to pick one, it would be the nine. It's where we're hurting the most. I yeah, I, I think you're right. Like that's what's most so exciting is that we might not have to choose. Maybe we'll do both, or at least right. get like young money spot in one of those those places. So also. That's- uh, Riggins, if if my list earlier wasn't enough, uh, potential DP number 10 to look at, same profile as, I think he's like a 21-year-old Leonardo Fernandez for Tigres. He's a backup there. Go watch his highlight reel and get excited. I could see us signing someone like him at that DP number 10 spot. Uh, Chris Bills also has a project in the works where uh, a lot of the folks from the striker were going to have a little group chat put together and kind of bring up some names that we think could could fill some of these spots. So uh, tune into that in the next week or two, and we, we might have some more names to to dream about. Uh, okay, so bring up the last listener question, and uh, some some may say the most important question of the whole show is from Joel Corral at Organize K. You guys will know him from doing all the, the badass art for Los Verdes oh, so uh, that you'll see on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, Joel asks, who has the best hair on the team and should we go after a player that has a great hairstyle? Uh, to answer the second question, absolutely. We got to, we got to get some more good hair on the team, but for the number one, who has the best hair on the team? Jeremiah, who's, who's your best hair? Well, I think this is a little bit, this is a little bit behind the scenes here, but Chris was running a couple of minutes late and Landon and I spent the whole 
time that we had preparing for the show to debate this issue. So <laughs> it's like of all the things we could talk about, this is the one that we wanted to really dig into here. So, I mean, I'm going with Cecilio. I feel like he keeps it, you know, he's got, there's like a lot of body. There's a lot of life. He's got a lot of big hair. It makes me sad that he hides it. But overall, he's got the best hair on the team. I, I think that's my argument against Cecilio is he's hiding his light under a bushel there. Uh, in in Paraguay with Guarani, there are some of the games he would have just like a like a headband thing and let 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 the mane like kind of flow behind there, and it always looked majestic. And I wish he would do that for a game here, but he's had it pulled back in like a ponytail or like a bun thing every game here. And so for that reason, he's not getting my vote. If he would let it go free, I, I would probably vote for him as well. But he's no. not going to get my vote. Who who yeah. gets yours, Chris? Well, before I say mine, just imagine you you show up to Q2 Stadium for the home opener against San Jose. You're full of emotion. Suddenly you look up. Cecilia walks out full mane, no <laughs> hairband, and you just burst into tears. It'll be a beautiful yeah, moment. That's, he just like he like flips his head and like yes. slowly, slowly turns. <laughs> and yeah. He gestures over to San Jose who realized they've already lost. Um, <laughs> no, you know, I will, I'll give a unexpected shout. Just after the last game, I'm really actually kind of into Redis's almost like Elvis Presley dude lately, man. <laughs> it's like man. pompadour looking yes. thing he's going with now. I love it. It's pretty sharp. I, I'm i going to give maybe an answer that is surprising, but also not surprising at all. Uh, I'm going to go with Julio Cascante. I think his hair looks so sharp cool. all the time. It's... Uh, yeah, I, I think there's lots of strong contenders. I, I could say, let's, I've got the roster pull up here. I think, uh, like you said, Redis has nice hair. I think Danny Pereira has nice hair. Kolmanich is pretty good. Danny Husson has always has like a pretty stylish hairdo going on. Uh, but yeah, I, I gotta go with Julio. He's, he's my guy in, in more, more ways than one. I, I just, Big fan of Julio Cascante and his hair. <laughs> no argument there. Hair as beautiful as his, his line-breaking passing. <laughs> All right. Uh, anything else about the roster before we move on, y'all? I think I'm all set. I, th I think I've said more than enough. <laughs> yeah. <we've laughs> Thank got, you if you're still listening. We've got a little long already, so we probably <laughs> should stop. But uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with a few bits of Austin FC and supporters group news. Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FBF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FBF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community transparency and client education. Um, and we've also got a little bit of an FBF related event. The uh, Los Verdes Bicycle Group is going to have a social ride from downtown to Q2 Stadium on June 12th. Um, there's going to be an 11 mile route and a five mile route. Uh, and it's going to be sponsored by FEF Law to benefit Shoal Creek Conservancy. So thanks to the FEF folks for sponsoring that. Uh, it's open to everybody, regardless of skill level. And we will put a link in, to the registration page in the show notes on the StrikerTexas.com website so you can sign up and ride your bike to the stadium. 
you know, we've done some of these. Uh, I, I'm not an experienced cyclist and I went on some of these smaller rides that, that Los Verdes have put on and there's going to be people of, of varying levels. And so if, if you're not feeling confident to like stay at the front of the pack, don't worry, there'll be people who will kind of sit back with you and, and ride slow if that's what you're into. So that should be a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, thanks for to FVF for for supporting the soccer community. So you can go to FVF.law to find out more about what makes FVF different and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's FVF.law. All right, we are back with a few other pieces of Austin FC news, including a stadium watch party at Q2 Stadium on June 12th. Tell us some of the details on this, Jeremiah. Yeah, I think it's so one, it's if you're a fan or if you're a season ticket holder, it's kind of a great way to get inside the stadium. So they're going to have a watch party. I think everybody gets to sit in their actual season ticket seats um, on the 12th for the Sporting KC match at two o'clock in the afternoon. Um, But then for the club, it's a really ingenious way of being able to try out how ticketless entry and concessions and transportation and all those things work in advance of the 19th before like to work out the kinks before it becomes a giant mess. So if you're a ticket holder, um, I think this afternoon, which we're recording on Monday is when the details came out about, um, how to get into that. So if you can go into your seat geek app, um, and log in, you should have an invite to a special watch party event at the stadium on the 12th. I'm, I'm actually, unfortunately going to be out of town for this and I'm pretty upset about it. Are you guys going to get to go? I am not. Oh, I'll be there. Come find me, Chris. Of course I will. No no matter what, find Chris. Yeah, this is what I appreciate about this too. The team is giving me an emotional warm up to the first home game, so hopefully I can (laughs) be a little more ready. You're gonna get to pre cry before we all cry on the 19th when it happens. Yeah. So so please come to the watch party and watch me pre cry before the actual home (laughs) opener. All right. We've also got uh, some things that the supporters groups and some players are doing for Pride Month. You want to tell us about that as well, Jeremiah? Yeah, so Austin Anthem is doing a pride raiser for out youth. Uh, and so that's you can go to austinanthem.org um, and contribute there. It's based upon the outcome of the club during the month of June. They're raising money, and then also they are um, selling items in the merch store with a por- portion of the proceeds going to Equality Texas. Um, Los Verdes is matching a campaign that Brad Stuver's running uh, during June, which is playing for pride. And the proceeds are being split between the Black Women's Player Collective and Athlete Ally. So it's $50 for a win during June, $50 for a shutout, and $5 for a save. So Brad will be donating that, and then Los Verdes will be donating an equivalent amount to that. And then also, um, Los Verdes announced a Player of the Month campaign, where every month the members are going to pick a Player of the Month, and will donate $200 to the charity of choice of the winning player. Real quick, who who is y'all's player of the month vote? Well, so I've seen the nominations. You know, Stuver and Fagundes are the only people that got more than one out of anything. So I think it's a pretty good chance that Brad Stuver is going to run the table on this yeah, one. Yeah, it's got to be Brad. Brad Stuver is my vote. He's, as far as like off field and on field combined, he's the guy, right? So hope, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling for him in this vote. All right. I think that's that about does it for this week. Before we wrap up, we'd like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, it will really help us grow our audience and get in touch with more people throughout the rest of this season. Uh, 
again, again, thank all the people who left reviews last week. Uh, that also helps us kind of spread the word. If you want to continue the, the conversation with us, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at LVAHero87. Jeremiah is at jbentley underscore ATX. And Chris is at... At Chris Wellhausen. All right, at Chris Wellhausen. Uh, yeah, we're, we're on there all the time talking. You can also find us at Moon Tower Soccer on both Twitter and Instagram. You can also go to the Striker Texas website where you can find th- this article that we mentioned, uh, Chris Bills' interview with Claudia Reyna. Did you have any others that you wanted to mention, Jeremiah? I just want to preview some stuff. I know the Striker Texas has put a lot of work into coverage of gold or planning coverage of the Gold Cups. So I think there's probably nowhere else uh, online you you will be able to find Gold Cup coverage quite like the Striker Texas. So look forward to that over the next month or so. Yeah, and there's some previews from this week with John Arnold and Phil West writing about uh, the U.S. game and about Mexico and some of the other teams. So there there will be some really quality coverage from some pretty experienced writers covering the Gold Cup. So I'm really looking forward to that. All right. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll be back in one week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer, where we will cover the latest in Austin FC news. And then we'll also review the uh, game against Sporting Kansas City on the 12th. And then we'll be previewing our first ever home match on June 19th. Uh, We can't wait for that. We're also going to be joined by Claire Partain, who is covering Austin FC for Austonia. has been doing a really great job at that. And she's going to join us to talk about the match and then uh, some of the fan frenzy surrounding the home opener. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. And I'm Chris Wellhouse. We'll catch you next time. No one is around.